The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where usually we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a complement to the Numinous School, an online intuition development course for people who want their self awareness to make a difference in the world. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and there are two things that are different about this episode. This episode, the conversation is just with me, and it's quite one-sided. This is a podcast that I recorded in 2013. It's three parts, and the second thing that's different is that it's a longer form. It's 45 minutes per show, and it gives you my overview, my context of the five stages of spiritual development. It's very influenced by Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung and the medicine wheel teachings, quite an interesting combination, but it also tells you my story. So it's an opportunity for you to get to know me as a host, what I went through in my own long dark night of the soul and how my intuition has opened up over the last few years. The title of this podcast, this particular three part series is called Becoming Your Own Spiritual Advisor. Hope you enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Carmen Spaniola, and thank you so much for being with me here today. I I don't really know how to say this in a way that doesn't come across perhaps as a little, I don't know, saccharine or disingenuous, but really, this is my favorite thing to do in the whole world, is to talk about the spiritual journey and the nature of soul and spirit and what's the difference. And... I don't know why it always surprises me to discover that there are other seekers just like me who could just do this all day long. Um, Of course there are. And yet the spiritual journey in so many ways is such a, well, it can be very isolating. It's, you know, it's a very solitary experience in many ways, much as, as I will talk about later, we want to come together with others. It still never surprises, ceases to surprise me that there are other people out there seeking just like me, and I find it really heartening. So I'm really glad you're here today and sharing what I love to do most in the world. So like many of you, if you found me, you are um, a very likely a passionate entrepreneur uh, or at least a person who likes to create things. If you're at all like me, you are a lover of good craft and you try to apply that in your life. And I have always been that way and I've always had a real entrepreneurial bent. I'm always uh, looking for improvements. And and even as a teenager, my bookshelf um, was kind of a, a funny blend of Joseph Campbell and Dale Carnegie and then there'd be Carl Jung and Stephen Covey right beside each other, and then like something on lucid dreaming right after that. <laughs> and so I, I have always been a seeker of self-improvement and spiritual enlightenment, I guess. And that's always played into my entrepreneurial life as well. I've, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And in my career as a business person, I've been the founder of a six-figure business, and I've been bankrupt. And I've been on 
national television and speaking panels with titans of industry, and I've been on welfare. And the way that I've learned to manage the exhilarating highs and the terrifying lows of being an entrepreneur is by nurturing a sustained, reliable, and potent connection to a power greater than myself. And you can call it spirit, you can call it intuition, you can call it God, you can call it what you want. But when you're attuned to that power, you are as deeply resourced and fueled and informed as you can get as an entrepreneur. And before I go any further, I do want to clarify my language. So I use a lot of these terms interchangeably. And what I hope, what I really want to do is I want to live in a world where we can drop any one of the thousand names for God in a casual conversation and like nobody gets uncomfortable, you know, because we all just get that the Tao that can be spoken is not the Tao, that we're trying to point towards that life force, that greater will, that, that, that mystery, the mystery that we, we can't conceive of consciously. That's what we're trying to point towards and not get hung up on what that means in the specifics for me or for you. Uh, so when I talk about soul, uh, what I'm really referring to is that of you that is eternal. Soul is what you brought in with you when you were born and what will continue to exist after you die, in my opinion. When I'm talking about spirit, generally I'm referring, well, I kind of have capital S spirit and small s spirit. And I, I'm not too worried about how you define that. But for me, capital S spirit is that life force, that higher will, the greater power. It's, yeah, it's the capitalized universal sense of what animates us and animates the planet. When I'm talking about small s spirit, I'm generally referring more to how your human self is grappling with the great mystery of the capital S spirit. I'm talking about how you are communing with your soul, your higher self. It's you in your human form reaching up towards that which is greater than you. And when you commune with that which is greater, that is expressing your spirit. So I, I don't get too hung up on the finer details of that. I, I'm Let's just take it as I'm pointing towards the thing that is greater and you interpret that however feels comfortable for you. So as I was saying, communing with spirit is the way that I've managed to cope with the chaos, really, that comes with being human. I mean, there's just always a higher level. There's always a breakthrough everywhere you turn. I find being a mother is very much a continuous string of uh, revelation followed by chaos that leads to breakthrough. <laughs> That's just what it always is. And I believe and, well, I'm, I would say I know this to be true, that everyone is intuitive. 
and can commune with their soul and spirit and higher self. But if you really want to feel guided in your life, you have to respond to spirit. You have to engage in a collaborative relationship. And when you do, you will require less and less involvement and feedback from outside spiritual authority and other kinds of authority, quite frankly. And you become your own spiritual authority. Your own authority with conviction and confidence that comes from both the deepest and the highest place possible. So, what does it even mean to become your own spiritual advisor? It means to become, really actually, it means to move from the state of being an initiate, of being initiated into the mystery or into higher knowledge, and moving to the state of being an adept, a sage, where you hold and understand that higher level of knowledge and skill and aptitude in a state of grace and ease and comfort where you can where you are fluent in the language of spirit it means that you mature spiritually until you live the truth the truth that's you know it's a cliche because it's truth that truth that all is one the truth that in this fractal universe, you're both a reflection of spirit and spirit itself. And to live that way is to live in a higher state. Call again, use your own language. It's a higher state of vibration. It's a higher state of consciousness. It's to live in a powerful and again, collaborative, co-creative relationship with energy to be relaxed and calm in the awareness that you are not the center of the universe. <laughs> and again, if we're in the all is one lens or paradigm, you're not the center of the universe. You are the universe. You are the mirror image of the universe. You are a metaphor for the universe. And like all of us, the universe likes stories. And Joseph Campbell, who's my favorite, I, you know, I wish he was my grandpa. I pray to him sometimes, or at least I talk to him when I'm meditating. He was the granddaddy teller of stories. And he told us really the same story in a thousand different ways. The story of the monomyth, the hero's journey. The 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 problem I have with Campbell's work, and I say this in the most loving, loving, loving and um, respectful way, is that he erred on a couple of points, actually. First, I really find that the emphasis on the metaphor of the journey, the spiritual journey, is an error. Because great, big, huge swaths of time in our spiritual life is spent in stuckness and stagnation. It's, it's in darkness. It's in the time of the indwelling. And second, what happens in the stillness is the most important part of the story. 
I, I am going to declare, because I do know this to be true, and plenty of feminist religious scholars, Carol Christ, look her up, that's her real name, Carol, <laughs> just joking, um, they know this to be true, even though it's not popular. I'm going to say it because it's important. What happens in the incorporation, what I call the incorporation, the fourth stage of the spiritual journey, the part where the journey skids to a halt, what happens then is the true growth. That's when the real action begins. So I referred there to uh, the fourth stage. There are five stages of spiritual growth and development. And those are the inbreaking, the severance, the threshold, the incorporation, and the communion. I worked for years in restaurants, and I had one boss whose training pretty much came down to two words, anticipate and multitask. <laughs> and even in our spiritual life, I think you'll find that anticipation really smooths the workload. So developing your intuition and training your intuitive senses is how we anticipate what it is that our soul is longing for us to do or experience next. And we might not normally associate a word about productivity like multitask with our spiritual life. But I got to tell you, you're never on just one journey. You're never in one stage of development because over here in this part of your life, let's say in um, purpose or career, you are in an inbreaking where things are really starting to happen and you're really leveling up. And yet over here in another area of your life, maybe relationships, you are in a long, dark night of the soul, you know, where you're divorcing or perpetually single or what have you. So you can be in different stages, in different areas of your life simultaneously. You can even be in different stages and different relationships within one family group dynamic. We all know that. Our families of origins have complex uh, rhythms and seasons, and they're hardly ever synchronous. <laughs> you know, they're hardly ever in tandem or harmonious. So my three main points today are this. Number one, everyone is intuitive. Carl Jung who I also love, not so much like a grandpa, but more like kind of a weird uncle who lived in the woods. <laughs> Carl Jung said that there is within us all a transcendent function that knows both the origin and the resolution to every challenge or problem that we encounter. And I just think that's such an elegant notion that there is within me a transcendent function and there is within you a transcendent function that knows 
the origin to every problem, every lesson, every challenge, and its resolution. So there's nothing in the universe that can come at you. There's no riddle or puzzle or dilemma that you don't have the secret code to on some level. Number two, there's an archetypal pattern to the journey, a map, if you will, that will tell you where you are in your process and therefore what's coming next, which is awesome (laughs) because mostly that's what we all want to know, right, is what is going on in my life and when am I getting to the next thing? So again, let me just clarify language here. An archetype is a pattern that is universal. It exists in all people, in all cultures, in all periods of history. So, um, you know, so for example, birth is an archetypal experience. Obviously, it's true on the concrete level because we've all been born. But it's also a psychological experience of an archetypal kind. Because every time we begin something new or we enter a new phase of life, there's this sense of birthing. So the five stages of spiritual development are archetypal. You don't need a lecture or a podcast or a workshop or even a book about them because they echo human development. If you are observing the humanity around you, or even in your own body, you know how the story is going to go and what's going to happen next because it's giving you clues and signs all the time. Your soul already knows these five stages instinctively and in fact has been feeding you lines (laughs) quietly, sometimes loudly the whole time. Uh, Yeah, sometimes your soul really, if you're paying attention, gives you just spoiler alert after spoiler alert. (laughs) And it's like, just so you know, this is what's going to happen if you continue on that path, or just so you know, here's what you're meant to be doing next. And most of us are just totally, you know, deaf and blind to it. Number three, you don't have to believe in God, or what I call spirit or the soul, or a higher power, or past lives, or reincarnation, or just any of that. You don't have to believe in energy, anything like that, to believe, uh, or to have, rather, a profound and rich spiritual life. In fact, it's actually very common to have a rich spiritual life that is completely non-theistic, Because the spiritual life is an inner vision. It's an exploration of the sacred. And that exploration of the sacred can easily be experienced and found in, you know, the wondrous workings of your body, in the the awesomeness of nature, or the human spirit, and it can be found in relationships. In fact, I'm going to get to this later in the final stage, but there are many counselors and, um, you know, relationship therapies based on the notion that the whole point of people coming together, the reason why they're drawn to each other is because they fulfill a holy longing within them. 
Because that really is what a spiritual life is, is this sensual exploration of one's relationship to everything else. So let's talk for a bit about the most important relationship that you need to develop if you want to live intuitively. And that's your relationship to your body. But I'm, I'm not talking today about how you feel about your body. I'm talking about how you feel your body. Dr. Candace Pert said, your body is your subconscious mind. And she has a wonderful book, uh, Molecules of Emotion, and she actually has an excellent recording, audiobook called Your Body is Your Subconscious Mind. I highly recommend it. And without putting on my clinical hypnotherapist hat and using all our time to explain how this actually works, uh, and without trying to paraphrase a neurologist like Candace Pert, just trust me when I tell you that your subconscious mind is the gateway to spiritual revelation and your body is your subconscious mind speaking to you all the time. So if you think about your subconscious, think about the areas in the ocean they call the great deeps. And, and I, I take this image from a lovely man, very dear to my heart, uh, named Michael, who attends the Quaker meeting that I go to. And he, uh, the, this is a bit of a digression, but in a Quaker meeting, uh, the attenders all come together and sit and simply sit in silence for an hour. But anybody can get up and speak if they are called to speak. And usually it's short and it's uh, personal uh, reflection. So it's they call it testimony, but it's really supposed to be about how you are experiencing spirit or God in that moment. And they don't call it meditation. They call it listening. And Michael, his inner world, when he stands up and shares it, moves me to tears. And he, he's just talking about his own experience. And he really has inspired me to share my own experience with others because I fully recognize myself in his experience, even though I haven't had that experience. I believe differently from him in many ways. Um, and what he's talking about is different from how I experience it. And yet, the soul-to-soul -soul connection that I feel when he's speaking from that place of being guided is so profound and so attractive. And so, so it's just such a generous form of sharing that really that's what has inspired me to um, be here with you today and do the work that I do. One of the inspirations and... Um, a powerful one for me. So one day Michael stood up in the meeting and uh, he talked about the great deeps. They are the unmapped areas of the ocean and they're unmapped because they go down so far. But every once in a while, there's a rupture in the great deeps. And they know this, that, that this happens, this this rupture happens and all of this gunk 
this ocean floor detritus. It comes floating up. And, and the way that they know this is because all of a sudden there will be a proliferation, just this, this abundance of biodiversity in that area. Because what comes up from the great deeps are the nutrients needed for flourishing life. It's this, it's like ancient food or medicine or vitamins that comes up and causes all of this beautiful biodiversity. And that's what your subconscious is like in relation to your spiritual journey. And your body is like the ocean. It's the fluid part of it. It's the container. It will communicate and reveal to you your spiritual truth. And it will be sending, in many of our cases, like desperate and futile messages for long, long before you consciously receive those messages. Unless you take an active approach. So to become your own spiritual advisor, you do need to actively endeavor to learn your own unique intuitive language so you can receive spiritual communication and most importantly, so you can respond. And everyone receives their messages uh, differently. And there are four main senses Uh, They're called clairs, and that's the term that we use for our spiritual senses. So there are four main clairs that we use to receive spiritual information. And just briefly, I'll cover them. So the first one, clairvoyance, that is a clear sense of seeing. So this is probably a strong clair for you if you're a great visualizer or if you never forget a face Um, Or if you grasp concepts best when they're um, drawn or diagrammed or infographicked or projected onto a screen. So in your work, uh, maybe you're a great designer or a photographer or um, illustrator, but maybe you're just a person who is you know, an esthete. You are just a great lover of beauty. Maybe you just have to have color in your life and you love wearing color and experimenting and expressing with color. There are many other ways that uh, you might have clues of your clairvoyance. Clearly, I mean, the the most obvious one is if you uh, are actually having, um, you know, predictive scenes in your mind's eye, you know, if you can, or, you know, if you're seeing auras and energies or angels, that's an obvious one. Clair audience. Now, not as many people recognize that this is a spiritual sense. Clair audience is a clear sense of hearing. If you're a naturally gifted speaker or writer or musician, or, you know, even if you just have a knack for remembering a tune or a song lyric, this could be your strongest clair. And I have to say, this this one can sometimes be rather um, startling and with good reason. Because, you know, I know for me, when I first started receiving spiritual messages, it, it came through my clair audience. And it was kind of like, you know, am I 
hearing voices like schizophrenic or am I hearing voices like messages from God? And how do I know the difference? <laughs> Fortunately, um, now that I'm a trained clinical hypnotherapist and I've done a lot of work in the subject of the mind, I can tell the difference on behalf of myself and my clients. Um, so <laughs> clear sentience is a clear sense of feeling. So you are probably a born healer, whether you know it or not. Um, some clues might be if you give a great massage that people say that you have magic hands. Um, or, you know, maybe your magic hands mean you're a really attentive and responsive lover. Um, you, you know, in your work, you might have become a doctor of Eastern or Western medicine. Um, or maybe a nurse or a Reiki therapist. Um, but also, you know, you, you might just be a person who has a very um, erotic relationship with the sensuousness of life. So perhaps you're a burlesque performer, or maybe you're a sex educator, um, or maybe you're a couples counselor. Um, also, you know, you could sort of on the other end of the spectrum, be somebody who's just really great in your body. You um, are great with outdoor sports, your total fitness buff, um, you know, yoga comes easy to you. Or um, you may have a really great uh, way with animals. If you really connect, like you can look into their eyes and that eye contact is real communication for you. Clairsentience is probably uh, one of your strongest spiritual spiritual senses. Claircognizance is, I think, the most subtle of all of the spiritual senses. It's a clear sense of knowing, and in this scenario, you probably just have facts that like pop into your head and you don't know where they come from. They're, they're just recalled without effort. So you are a total shark when it comes to trivial pursuit or playing Jeopardy because it like takes you no time. Just boom, answers are there. Boom, answers are there. And you're like steady like a rock. You just know. So it's, it's not so much that you remember things exactly. You just know. And if, if sort of trivia and facts aren't really your game, w another way that this often expresses itself is if you're a very enrolling or convincing uh, salesperson or leader, um, entrepreneur, politician, um, it, you know, you're just, you have great instincts for uh, what wants to happen next. So actually another funny story that I want to share with you about that. So uh, I, I, there's some talk, there's some hearsay, you know, and, and I do have this on primary information, but um, in my family growing up, there were women who were intuitive, uh, but tended to um, uh, shrink away because, of course, you know, there's a lot of public scorn that comes with being uh, or openly talking about your intuition. Tell me about it. Anyway, that's a whole other <laughs> thing. But anyway, so it wasn't talked about when I was growing up, but I grew up uh, in my very early years with um, my great-grandmother and my grandmother and my mother and my uh, three aunts and myself all living in a two-bedroom house with a, a basement, um, a bed in the basement as well, one bathroom. Anyway, my very early years. And because my mother was a very young teenage mother, m 
her sister, she was the oldest of four girls, and her sister, my Auntie Debbie, was the next. And really, Auntie Debbie, who would have been about 17, I guess, when I was born, she, she was my primary female attachment and uh, loved me like, like a mother. They, they all did, but we were particularly c close. She was the right age to be able to be responsible for me. So I'm very close to her. And um, she had a, a, a stroke not too long ago, which was really... Uh, hard for me. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is kind of random. I was really doing really well with um, her recovery, but it's still, it, uh, it's still really tough. I'm sure you've been there at some point in your life. You're surprised by that stuff that you are still triggered by, even when you've accepted and embraced them anyway. She is a lovely woman. She's a total, you know, hockey mom, though. Um, real giver and nurturer of others. And uh, she <laughs> told me the story once of how she experienced her claircognizance. Now, she didn't call it that. She didn't know what it was. She would use words psychic or whatever, but she didn't like those words. She's, you know, a small town woman who's very humble and practical. And this kind of stuff has no place for it. But her uh, husband, my Uncle Mo, would work out in camp for long periods of time. And when he would come into t home and sort of go into town, he, you know, he'd go into town to kind of learn all the news. So he had come back from being in camp, and my Aunt Deb was telling him all about, you know, oh, yeah, this is what's happened in town. And she was saying, yeah, you know, and the secretary at this company was um, charged with embezzlement. And he was like, what? You know, it's a small town. Everyone knows everyone. And there were some very large um, companies there where everybody worked at the mill and stuff. So he goes down to the pub to kind of meet with the guys and, and he's saying, wow, what's gone on with the secretary? And everybody's going, what? Where did you hear that? And he's like, well, Deb told me. It's like, oh my gosh. And Deb, who's like a totally upstanding, practical woman in the industry, everybody's going, oh my gosh, so it must be true. So word kind of spreads. And nobody has heard anything about this. But next thing you know, a few weeks later, it's in the paper, the secretary, you know, and it's like, this is the first time that it's actually been leaked. She was only just charged. So Mo is looking at Deb going, how did you know that? Like, where did you hear that? And she's going, I don't know. I, I, I just, I just knew. I don't, I don't know. I thought everybody knew that. And he's like, well, Deb, everybody's asking me how I know, you know, don't tell me stuff if you don't know how you know. So he goes back into camp. And the next time he comes out, uh, they're catching up and what's the news? And she says, well, it turns out that that secretary had actually been doing all of these other things as well. And actually her crimes were of quite an order higher than originally suspected. He's going, oh my gosh, that's amazing. He goes down to the pub and he's telling people, so what's this I hear about the secretary had actually taken way more than they originally found. And you know, they're co-conspirators and all this. People are going, I don't know. Nobody's heard of this. Nobody's seen it in the paper. Nobody knows. And my Uncle Mo is like, Debbie, <laughs> going like, she did it again. And what do you know? Like six months later in the court case, more evidence has revealed uh, after the investigation that this is in fact what had happened, that the crimes were much more extensive than originally reported. And Mo is saying, Debbie, <laughs> how did you know that? She's going, I really thought everybody knew. I don't know how I know that. So she um, says that now she doesn't gossip <laughs> because she just never knows where she got the information. And uh, being, you know, from such a small town, she really wanted to keep it on the down low. But sometimes she just knows things and she doesn't know how.
Anyway, I love her to death. She's such a sweetie. So uh, becoming your own spiritual advisor, as I said, it means learning your body's unique intuitive language. And in so doing, you develop your clairs so that you're in step with spirit and with your path. And so that you, you feel such a sense of rightness, such a, there's such a feeling of being at home in your life and in the flow of your life that just like my Auntie Debbie, you don't even know how you're doing it. <laughs> but there are three rules of thumb that I want to share with you and that I want you to keep in mind as you explore and develop spiritually, because they're going to be handy, trust me, later on, like later on, like today <laughs> in your spiritual development. So number one, spirit works in paradox. And number two, spirit speaks in metaphor. So, you know, if we think about the mind again, the subconscious mind, we can easily understand why spirit works in paradox and speaks in metaphor because spirit works on the subconscious level. And we all know that our subconscious is a clever but indirect little bugger and very rarely spoon feeds you uh, easy to digest and understand morsels of information. It always speaks in your own personal symbology. So your most valuable spiritual gleanings, your greatest insights, they're going to come to you while your subconscious has opened up at least a little while you're in a kind of light trance state. And they'll often be indirect because your subconscious speaks the language of metaphor and symbolism. And, you know, what to your conscious mind would appear to be riddle. And it's up to you to apply yourself and decipher the language of your personal subconscious and get to know your personal symbology. So, of course, it's going to help to read about and learn about our collective uh, symbols our, and our collective mythology. You know, Carl Jung wrote that famous book, Man and His Symbols. And um, if you read, you know, Campbell, Hero with a Thousand Faces, you're going to get a great cross-section. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons why intuitive work comes so naturally to me is because of my very early nurturing of my own fascination with Joseph Campbell's work. So I watched The Power of Myth on PBS when I was like eight, Power of Myth with Bill Moyers. And then that was transcribed into a really easy to read book. Um, and I started reading that when I was 14 and just started to ingest and take in all of Joseph Campbell's work. So by now, you know, almost 40, I'm fluent in a lot of spiritual languages. But to be informed by your own highest teacher, you need to learn your own language. And so that brings us to number three, your highest teacher above all others, is your own direct experience. So how do you have a direct spiritual experience? Like, again, what am I talking about? I'm talking about your body. Your body is your intuitive interface. It will tell you through your clairs when you're having a spiritual insight and experience. So my clairs are pretty balanced, but um, 
that's after, you know, years of applying myself um, and study. But it's, it's probably easiest to describe to you what's happening for me on a clairsentient level first. So um, I did regression with different people, but with one uh, teacher in particular several times before I um, apprenticed with her and trained with her to um, become a past life regressionist. And so when I was in the practicum of my program, um, I was actually uh, being regressed by another um, classmate. And I, <laughs> my classmate was leading me into um, a scene, trying to get me to go deeper. And I sort of had to stop and put my hand up and say, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can't go any further. I just have this wave of seasickness. I feel nauseous. I think I'm going to throw up. And Rather, my teacher interjected the, the wonderful, beautiful Dr. Johnny Gray. And she said, no, just keep going. That happens to her every time. <laughs> I realized then that actually that's true. <laughs> that every time I would be in regression, there would be at some point, you know, I would get distracted. I wouldn't be able to hear what um, the practitioner was saying to me because I would be... Um, struck by this wave of seasickness and it was a different kind of feeling it wasn't like normal nausea it wasn't like something I ate or anything like that it was seasickness and because I've worked on yachts I, I know what seasickness feels like and but it would come and it would go very quickly but that's when I realized, oh my gosh, my body is entering a whole new state. It's, it's, going, it's dropping down under the waves into this sort of deep ocean of my subconscious. Now, when that happens to me, it still happens to me all these years later, I know and I get excited because it's like, oh, it's working. <laughs> you know, I'm all like clapping my hands. Um, another thing that happens, uh, I realized was uh, I have a particular guide that I call in who's just my personal guide. He's just with me, um, you know, for companionship, support, comfort, not the guide that I'm calling on all the time for tons of information, but certainly for connection. And I know when he comes in because I recognized um, I recognized that this was happening even in my sleep when I would dream about him. I recognized it happening um, kind of during the day as well. When I call on him, I feel kind of a tickle. I feel an energy that comes on my right side, kind of from my shoulder um, and my back to the front of my body. So it's kind of like a whoosh that comes from behind me on my right side, kind of top to the bottom across the front of me. It's, it's a very specific sensation, but it took me... Uh, it's so fleeting for one thing that it's it's hard to consciously recognize, but it also took me a lot of practice before I even realized that that had been happening for a long time. And then also when I'm doing intuitive work for someone else, I... Uh, I had several instances where I would um, sort of take a pause and notice like, oh gosh, I really have a very strong localized pain right between my um, eyebrows. And uh, sometimes I would just kind of have to stop and go like, whoa, that is an incredible pressure right there, very localized. Uh, but again, it would go away very quickly. But seriously, that happened for like a year before. And every time I'd be all concerned, like, oh no, what if I can't do a good reading today because I've got a headache? But then it would like disappear and I'd be kind of, you know, I was sort of in a trance state. So I would just move on to the next thing and kind of even forget that I'd had that occurrence. 
it wasn't until like way later that I was telling somebody about uh, body attunement that I realized it just came out of my mouth. Oh, yes. And whenever I'm doing intuitive channeling for others, I feel a very localized pressure between my brow. And it wasn't until I heard myself say it that I even realized that that happened. So that was kind of a cool um, channeling of wisdom. So let me now um, bring this set part of the talk to a close so that we can end at sort of a nice 45-minute uh, timeline. And that will be the end of the first podcast about the five stages of spiritual development. So this whole first part has really been um, about the overall nature of spiritual development. In the second part of the podcast, I'm going to talk about the five stages specifically and the skills that are most helpful uh, for you when you are just becoming aware of what stage you are in. Um, it's certainly not comprehensive, but they're uh, basic fundamentals that have helped me, but that are also really universal and timeless. Thanks very much for joining me for part one of this three-part mini-series, Becoming Your Own Spiritual Advisor. Thanks so much for listening, and if you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate your review on iTunes. And if you'd share it far and wide so it can reach more seekers just like you, you never know who needs to hear it right now. If you'd like to keep exploring the great mystery of life with me, you can go to my website, carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Click the link for the Numinous School, my online intuition development course, and do a little exploring. Let's see where we go. While you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter. You'll instantly receive a meditation download and you'll get something free from me every month. Until next time, take care.